Amen. 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 With the horns now. Amen. With the rhythm now. Amen. Sometimes, you know, I think when you read the Bible, you may sit down and open it up yourself, or you may go to church, something like RUF, and you hear the person reading it, and you're like, how could this ever have anything to do with me? You know, this is, this is about things long in the past in a different culture. It doesn't seem like it has much bearing to us. But sometimes we open the Bible, and we read it, and we're like, this is talking about exactly what I'm going through, or what we're going through. And um, this is one of those passages, I think, that is so clear. It was, it was written a couple thousand years ago, but it's really just about something that we feel very closely in the United States in 2019. And that is that it's hard to be unified with other people, right? Uh, I think we're living in a time and a moment where uh, it feels more impossible than ever, really, to have peace and all the different kinds of people in our culture, right? It feels like there's hostility um, and, and anger all around us. And I think this passage from this letter, the, uh, a person named Paul, or you may have heard him called the Apostle Paul or St. Paul, he wrote this letter to a church in an ancient Asian town or city. And it gives us, I really think, a startling and fresh perspective on how it is that we can actually have unity that we can actually have peace, where people who are different can come together as one. So uh, I'm, I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to pray and uh, ask God to, to speak to us through it. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is God's word. I'm going to pray for it. Uh, Lord, your word has been read to us. And... Um, 
your word says about itself that it's from you, that you breathed it out, that it's living, that it's active, that it's able to do work in us. And Lord, I think that each of us here, no matter how excited about Jesus we are, is at least a little bit skeptical that that's the case. And yet, Lord, we do long to hear a voice that can tell us truly who we are, how the world is supposed to work, how we can know you, what it means to love. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would just give us eyes and ears that are open to your word. Lord, we long to be able to have peace uh, with one another and to have unity with one another and to be able to thrive and flourish together. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would show us to do that in this word. Lord, I thank you for uh, the four women of our group that are heading out uh, after this semester to go serve you and to take this word uh, to other campuses and ask your blessing on them and on us now as we are together. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's uh, it's really life-giving if you talk to someone in your family and you find out that you're not the first person in your family to struggle with something, you know? Like maybe you remember when you were growing up and you were just struggling at school and maybe one of your parents or an older sibling said, you know, it was really hard for me to learn how to spell too. Or like I didn't start reading until later and you just feel that sense of just relief, right? Maybe as you've gotten older and you've been brave enough to go home, some of us, and say, mom or dad or grandma or whatever, I'm struggling and with depression or anxiety. And to have someone in your family look at you and say, yeah, I, I, I've been there too. Um, that just brings this flood of relief and it helps us to breathe, right? When we find out we're not the first ones or the only ones. If you're here and you're a first year student, um, it's the second semester, so probably by this point, you've realized that you're not the only person that was lonely all of last semester, right? Um, everyone else looked fine. You were the only one that was struggling. Or at least that's what you thought, right? Well, when we come to this passage, I think what we see is that we are not the first people to struggle with unity. We're not the first culture to struggle with unity. And actually, if you're here and you're a Christian, you're not the first set of Christians that have struggled with unity. It's been um, a hard road since the very beginning. So... Paul in this passage is talking about two groups of people in this church. And tell me if any of this sounds familiar, okay, to your experience. Um, Now, God had come in the flesh, uh, in the person and work of Jesus, and he had come to save the world. And that anyone that would believe in him would have new life and have a transformed life and, and all these things and have eternal life. And there were people from the Jewish faith who had been looking forward to the coming of this Savior And when he came, a lot of them believed in him, and they had new life. And then there were also all these other people, right? Because this is the Roman Empire. And there were all these just sort of, you know, uh, garden variety Roman citizens who did not come from a Jewish background. And they also believed in Jesus. And they also started having new life. And they also started being added to this church. Um, But when they end up in the same church, this really funny thing happens is that they come from such different cultures that are actually so hostile to each other that they're constantly insulted by one another and offended by each other. The Gentile uh, believers are really offended and hurt by the Jewish believers in their church because they're Roman citizens, right? They are educated, cultured cultured people of the world. They're comfortable 
in an urban and secular and progressive environment. But then they come into the church with all these Jewish Christians, and suddenly they're being judged for the food that they eat. They're being judged for the clothes that they wear. Maybe it's not quite modest enough for some of their sisters and brothers' standards. Um, They're being judged for the way that they use sex. Right? They're being judged for everything. They feel like they're constantly getting the, the disgusted face right, from their Jewish sisters and brothers in the church just for living their lives. And to them, the, the, the Jewish brothers and sisters in the church were just these like weird fundamentalists, right? And they were just kind of tribal and backward to them. And so they just kind of dismissed them. They said, ah, we can be in the same church, but I'm just not really interested in your opinion. The password is 000, by the way. Everyone forget that. (laughs) Now, so they're offended and they're insulted and they're hurt and they're actually legitimately insulted, right? This is like, they're not making it up. This is a real offense to them. And now you have all these Jewish Christians in the church and they're like, hey, look, Jesus was Jewish, right? He's the fulfillment of our scripture. We're the ones that have been waiting for thousands of years for this person to come. So if you want to be serious about following Jesus... You know, we could teach you a thing or two, right? We got lots of customs. We have lots of religious and cultural traditions that can help you be serious about your relationship with God if you really want to take it seriously. You know, you get circumcised if you're a man. You only eat certain foods. You wear certain kinds of clothes. You walk a certain way. You talk a certain way. That's what it means to know God. We've, been, we've had practice, right? And they were offended by these Gentile Christians because the Gentiles just kind of dismissed the way they did things and thought that they were weird and backward. And uh, they whispered and showed disgusted faces at them. They rolled their eyes at them. And in their mind, they would think, they don't take following God seriously at all because we know how to do the dang thing and they won't do the dang thing with us. How could we respect them? They clearly don't share our values, right? And they're here in the same church. So what you have, and again, tell me if this starts to sound familiar at all, is secular, cultured, progressive folks and traditional religious conservative folks are legitimately hurt and offended by each other. And they use that offense as a reason to withhold love from each other, right? They use that offense as a reason to watch different cable news channels, right? They use that offense as a reason to just sort of do life in different stores. They buy from different places. They shop, at, they eat at different restaurants. They may have to do life together in some spheres, but they functionally ignore each other uh, and talk about, about each other behind their backs. And what Paul does is he writes to them, he says, look, you're missing really what is so beautiful about Jesus. And that's what he says in verse 14. He says, look, he himself, he's talking about Jesus, is our peace who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What Paul writes to them, this pastor that cares for them who had started this church, he writes to them, he says, you're not doing life together because you have this hostility towards each other. You just can't stand to be with each other. But Jesus himself is our peace. He doesn't teach us how to do peace. He doesn't give us uh, an ideal for peace. But he himself In his body is our peace. And what he means by that is that the Lord Jesus was himself despised, mocked, insulted, whispered about, 
rejected and abused. He received that hostility. And that in that he is God himself coming to us and receiving ultimate offense from people. From both those that were traditional and religious and conservative and those that were secular and cultured and progressive. They both rejected Jesus and left him alone. But instead of withholding love, if using that as, an, as a justification to um, hold on to himself and not entrust himself to them, of using that as an, a justification to withhold forgiveness or service from them, Jesus actually gave himself in the most ultimate act of love. I, I don't know if anything that could possibly sound more backward to where we are at our own moment than someone being legitimately victimized and hurt, and instead of withholding love and withdrawing, actually moving into that hurt and absorbing that hostility. That would sound just like the the most um, self-defeating thing possible. But Jesus moves into that at the cross to give an ultimate act of love, forgiveness, sacrifice, and mercy. And through his suffering and death at the cross, what Paul is saying is that he killed the hostility that we have. The hostility that we have toward God and the hostility that we have toward one another. Because when two people or two groups of people are hostile toward one another, that hostility can't just go away. It can't just evaporate. There has to be a reckoning for that hostility, right? There has to be justice or else there can't be peace. And what Paul is saying is that Jesus absorbed that hostility and took that justice and that reckoning on himself so that you don't have to share it between each other. The Gentile Christians wanted the Jews to come out from behind their wall, right? They had set up this wall. This is how you do things. They're like, why don't you just chill? Stop being so uptight. You just come out here with us and just recognize that it's all kind of the same, right? Your cultural traditions, yeah, they're fine, whatever, but out here it's all the same. They wanted them to come out from behind their wall and live like them. And the Jews wanted the Gentiles to come behind the wall. Come see what it's like. Come follow God with us. Come let us teach you our ways. Come behind the wall. And what Paul says is Jesus destroyed the wall. The wall isn't even there. He tore it down at the cross. His body was torn down and ripped apart so that a new body could be healed and be brought together. The God who created all things invited our interpersonal violence and hostility into his own body. Um, Not because he's masochistic. He did it so that he could bear it away from us. And what, what Paul does in light of that is in verses 11 and 12, he kind of exposes the pride of these Gentile Christians. He says, look, you got to remember that there was a time when you were a stranger to all this. Like, you didn't know God. You weren't kind of close to God. You were like the most random person on the face of the earth. He says in, in verse 13 that you were uh, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He said, do you realize that's who you were? And God came to you in Jesus and brought you near. He he gathered you in. He exposes the pride of the Gentiles against the Jews by saying, you you didn't even really belong here and God brought you in. But then he does this this thing where he says he exposes the pride of the Jews against the Gentiles. Because he says, did I just suddenly get louder? (laughs) Yeah, it's nice. I feel very triumphant and powerful right now, Gabe. Um, He exposes, maybe we take it down a little bit. (laughs) 
I'm going to get too powerful. Okay. Um, thanks, Gabe. Um, this is a thankless job right here, man. I appreciate you doing it. Um, anyway, back to the important part. Um, he exposes the Gentiles' pride toward the Jewish Christians, but then he exposes the Jewish pride toward the Gentile Christians. Because he says, you have all these like religious and like cultural norms, the way that you do sex, the way that you do food, the way that you do all these different things, and you think those things make you special to God and special in the world. But guess what? Verse 15, Jesus abolished the law of commandments expressed in, his ordinance, and expressed in ordinances. He says, yeah, Jesus at the cross, he abolished all that stuff. So all the stuff that you thought made you really special and made you a guide to these other people, it's gone. It, does, it doesn't matter anymore. Jesus abol- abolished all that because he brought the Gentiles in by mercy and he's bringing the Jewish Christians in by mercy. Everybody gets into God's people by mercy or not at all. And that is part of what's so beautiful about the unity and peace that we can find within God's people is that everybody comes in recognizing I had no business being here. And Jesus came and he found me and he brought me in. We can't have unity by requiring everyone to abide by the same cultural and moral standards. I think that we understand that, right? When we force people to keep standards, it just makes them bitter. But neither can we have unity by jettisoning or relativizing all cultural and moral standards and saying they're all kind of the same. Because that doesn't honor our deep diversity, right? And the things that are meaningful to us. It's not religious insiders that belong. And it's not secular outsiders that belong. The people of God are all received by the mercy of Jesus because he himself is our peace. The one who took our hostility on his body to bear it away. And here's what that means. That means my peace with you has nothing to do with you and nothing to do with me. And that means I can extend it to you freely and you can extend it to me freely. Because I mean, if you're here and you're a Christian, how do you determine which Christians you're willing to do life with? I mean, what's the standard that you use to say, like, are they chill enough or do they take it seriously enough, right? Right? Um, who, who have you decided that it's okay to disregard or dismiss? Who have you moved away from because they just aren't as serious about Jesus as you are? And, and, and the question really is, is what would it look like for you and I to actually believe that the only way any of us gets in with God is because he's been merciful to us. Because he's given us something that we just don't deserve. Uh, I was at Disney World last week and it was marvelous. Um, It really, I was transported to a world far away where I forgot the boon and it's cold, cold self existed. And um, uh, big ups to Reggie Hunt that filled in for me last week. I hope he was great. And um, I was there, and each day, we, we went to the parks seven days, and if you've been to Disney recently, um, they either give you a band, it's like a watch to get in with, or a card, right? A little card. And I was the keeper of all the cards for, for my family, right? I was there with my mom and, and stepdad. Um, but for me, for my wife, and for my three daughters, I kept the cards. That was the one responsibility I was given for the entire week, <laughs> mostly because I wore cargo shorts which are fashionable and functional. And um, thank you. Hey, you know what? I'm finally getting some talk back in here. Talk more about cargo shorts later. And um, here's what's important to know. I didn't pay for this Disney trip. I, the cards didn't even come to my house, right? But every day, I was free to hand them out. 
we would get to the gate of, of the park and I would hand them out to all my children, right? And they would take them and they would go in and they would be entered into the most beautiful, magical place on the earth, right? And it didn't have anything to do with me. I didn't pay for them. I didn't own the park. I didn't do anything. I just handed it out, right? But I also protected these cards for the good of my kids, right? I wanted to hold on to them and protect them well. I lost absolutely nothing by giving these tickets away because I didn't pay for them. They weren't about me. And you lose nothing by giving the peace of Christ away that he's given to you. He says, I've given it to you and you can just share it. Because I know there, like, that there are legitimate hurts and offenses. And those things need to be reckoned with. But they don't have to be the thing that motivates you in your relationship. They don't have to be what's down at the bottom. And the question is, are you willing to come to Jesus with all of your legitimate offense and your illegitimate offenses, with your conflictive motives, and let him be your peace? To one to say, I can't hold all this stuff against you because Jesus hasn't held stuff against me. And you know what? He doesn't hold this stuff against you either. So I want to live in peace with you. Because here, here's what it is. Jesus is our peace and he, he wins that peace for us. But then he gives us this really amazing unity. If you, if you look at um, verse 20, it says that Christ Jesus himself is our cornerstone. Um, and if, if you go up, let's see, in verse 14, sorry. For he himself is our peace who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What he's saying is that Jesus hasn't just made peace and unity possible for Christians. He's saying he's already made the peace and unity like actual and real, that it actually exists, that you are actually one people if you're in Christ. He says that you're, you're already made one people and you're fellow citizens of the same country. It already happened. It's, we're not waiting for it to happen. We're not going to activate it one day. But you actually now are one. So you may remember in 2017, when Offset of Migos proposed to Cardi B. Okay, you may remember this. I was at a concert. And I, Cardi B's been on my mind a lot lately because I love This Is America and I love Childish. But I was pretty stung that I Like It wasn't the Grammy for best song. Because I'm a big I Like It fan. Uh, thank you. Love Cardi. Um, but when they got engaged, she, he gave her a $500,000 raindrop ring, which I thought was very apropos as a member of Migos. Um, they, it came out later, they had actually already been married for like a month, right? Am I wrong on this? Is everyone's looking at me like, you're crazy kid. Right. <laughs> Cardi B and Offset had already been married for a month by the time they got engaged. And <laughs> this is... Didn't feel as awkward of a transition when I wrote it as it does now. Um, becoming a Christian is kind of like that. Um, which I'm like, if I was here and I wasn't a Christian, I'd be like, I'm listening. You know, um, you're saying it's like Cardi and Offset. Okay, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. I'm intrigued. Um, you find out once you come into the fa- to, to 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 know Christ that you're actually already united in family with these other people. Like, it's not something you're working to. It's not an ideal. There's no distinctions. God's people are one. Paul actually says in a book that he writes, uh, a letter to write called, called Colossians, that actually in Christ there's no Jew or Greek or male or female. All those distinctions that are real and beautiful distinctions become secondary to the fact that you are in Christ and that you are one. So here's what that means. It means that Palestinian and Israeli Christians are already one. 
already one. It means that gay and straight Christians are already one. It means that black and white Christians in Birmingham, Alabama, and Greensboro, North Carolina, are already one, and they were already one in 1960. It means that Antifa Christians and MAGA Christians are already one. It means that Crip Christians and Blood Christians are already one. Anyone you can imagine that has hostility to each other, if those people are believers that the hostility has already been killed and the unity has already been secured, and what he's saying is now go live as if that was true because it is true and it's obvious to God. And that takes so much of the weight off of pursuing reconciliation and unity and peace to know it's already actual from God's perspective. Now just go live into it. We really undersell what the church is. I have a quote here from a um, guy named Wes Hill. He's a, he's a theologian. Um, he's gay and he's a Christian. And he writes in a book called Wash and Waiting. It's, it's, it's just a, a really, it's a great perspective and memoir. But he talked about being in the church um, as a gay man and feeling like he was behind a glass wall with everyone that he interacted with, right? And part of that feeling is because there's a sense that we, that we elevate family and marriage in the church to being like the ultimate human relationship, right? And I've been guilty of that as well. And when he, when he interacted with anyone, he felt like he, he says, I felt like he was behind a glass wall, that he was with these people but incapable of actually connecting with them on a deep life-giving level, that he would never share a true acceptance and connection with another person. This is what he says when he started reading the Bible. Um, or when he, when he started having some new realizations about the Bible. He says, One of the most surprising discoveries I made is that the New Testament of the Bible views the church rather than marriage as the primary place where human love is best expressed and experienced. The answer to loneliness is not marriage, but rather the new creational community that God is calling into being in Christ. The church marked by mutual love as it is led by the Spirit of Christ. What he's saying there is that the place that God has intended for this radical unity and love and acceptance is the church. And that's what it already is. And this is part of what made Dr. King's statements and his push for racial equity and unity so beautiful as he was saying it's already freaking obvious. Right? He would say, I'm talking to Americans. And what I'll say to Americans is in your founding documents when you declared your independence from another country, you said it's self-evident that all men are created equal. You said it's self-evident. And so he's like, I'm just saying the same thing because it doesn't look self-evident around here. And then he would talk to Christians and most powerfully he would quote the scripture and say, Jesus has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility and made all believers one. Now you have to live that way. And what's better, you get to live that way. You don't have to be you don't have to be controlled by your own preferences and offenses and the insults that we hold on to, but we can be free to forgive and serve because Jesus holds it all together. Not me, not you. He's the cornerstone that everything gets built on and that's why everything can be secure. Now that doesn't mean, as you know, surely, that our experience with each other is automatically peaceful. This probably has not been in your experience. What it means is that each of us has to learn a new way of responding to each other and relating to each other if we're in Christ. And if you're here and you're not yet in Christ and you're considering these things, is there, some, is there a, a vision for peace and unity that is sweeter than this one? 
Because especially in a moment when offense is so important to us and it's the way that we um, stratify, stratify our culture, we just have something that comes in and says, it's really all done away with in Christ. The good news is that we can build on Jesus. We can actually move toward reconciliation. We can confess, I have been insulting. I have hurt you. Um, and we can find peace. So how do you immediately respond when a sister or a brother offends you? Um, in, in, in recording studios, if you've ever seen someone such as Cardi B, um, in the, in the studio, and they're, they're singing or they're rapping or speaking into a microphone, you'll notice that uh, in front of the mic, there's this little round thing, right? You know what I'm talking about? It's like a little screen. Does anyone know what that thing is? A pop filter. Thank you, Noah Bowman. Very knowledgeable. What that is there for is because when you're talking to a mic and you say things with a P, it makes a pop, right? And so when you're speaking into a mic, it deflects the air so it doesn't go straight into the microphone and make that harsh popping sound. And really what, what's beautiful, part of what's beautiful about this passage and what Jesus does for his people is between us, he puts himself in the same way like a pop filter. That we can actually hear what the other person is saying, even if it's offensive, but we don't have to take the pop. That we don't have to take the pain. In Christ, you can receive an offense and it can really hurt. It can really insult you. It can really be sinful and evil. But you don't have to use that to withhold love. You can actually give love. Which, why, why would an offense be worth us not being able to love? Jesus frees us from that. That is a hard and challenging and confusing word. And the, actually the rest of the book of Ephesians is about how that makes sense. And we'll get to that. But my friend, her name is Dr. Karen Ellis. She is, uh, she's devoted her, her life work, and she's finishing her PhD at Oxford right now, and she's devoted her life work to answering one simple question, and that's this. If Christ has already made us one, the church one, who has a vested interest in keeping us apart? That's what she wants to know. If people that come to Jesus are all one, who is benefiting from keeping us apart? If the wall has already been torn down, who benefits from putting up a new one? That's a fascinating question. I love her research. And I think that a lot of times, it's, it's just us. Are you experiencing the peace and unity that Christ has already won? Are you putting up a barrier of hostility or dismissiveness that Jesus has already removed? And if so, why? Um, where do you have the freedom to embrace a peace that Jesus has already provided for you? It's there for us to take it. And that is the hardest possible thing I, I feel like I could tell you as a pastor to pursue. Is a unity and a peace that's already there. And here's why it's all worth it. And I'll just end with this word. What Paul says there at the very end. He says that, that Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What he's saying is that as you embrace this unity, we are actually being built together as a place for God to live. 
the God of beauty, the God who isn't just loving but says that he is love, to come and dwell with us. And that means that we can pursue our purpose, which a pastor named Greg Thompson, which I pretty much stole all the stuff from anyway, put like this. You want, you want a purpose? You want to know what a, a purpose can be for you that's a beautiful purpose? The Christian purpose is to bear witness to God's presence by our shared life together. That by sharing a life of peace and love and unity that Christ has won for us, by forsaking the offense that causes us to withhold love, that we can actually bear witness to God's presence. Let's pray. Um, Lord Jesus, we... um, We're grateful. So much, I feel like so much of what I just said, I really believe, but I have absolutely no idea what it means. And partly because I've just so infrequently seen it in my own heart and experience. I've so infrequently seen it in my, in my own experience of the church, particularly the American church. And Lord, I, um, I grieve that. And Lord, we grieve that together. And, um, Lord, but the, the time is coming because um, we are increasingly fractured when, when this beautiful vision of your people united can be particularly sweet to us and to a world that is dying to live. And so, Lord, these, these things are vitally important. And, Lord Jesus, we want to see you as the one who gives us mercy, the one who is our peace the one to whom we can go to and say, my sister, my brother, they hurt me. Or I hurt them. And I want to pursue reconciliation and know that it can be real and not just in name only. Lord, that sounds like the most impossible thing. And that's why we're asking you to help us, to work in us. Lord, tear apart the things that we put up between each other, that we could see each other and see you and so no love in peace and we pray Jesus in your name.